Hadassah, and I'm so excited to welcome you to Real Woman, Real Torah, a project of Bacheva Learning Center. We're here to offer you an authentic Torah learning experience, produced for women, by women. I hope you enjoy. If you'd like to follow along inside the text, you can find a fully vowelized PDF of the DAF at www.batshevalearningcenter.com slash DAF. Hi, everyone. Welcome to DAF Tesvav. We're going to continue our discussion about Menachais here. Um, yeah, Devorah, go for it. Okay, so we're going to pick up right at the bottom of Yudalit Amad B. Um, and it is the second line from the bottom, third word, third to last word on the line. Um, and we're going through the process, the different stages of the process of bringing a standard carbon mincha. Okay, so umulakate eslevenasa venaisna al We're told that the cayenne needs to take a scoopful, a three fingers full of the flour mixture. Um, put it in a cliche, and then he takes the frankincense and sprinkles it on top. So the camera is going to say, how do we know this? What's the source for this? We have a positive, as it is written. Right, and you should write the positive sense that the kaya needs to offer the flour mixture as well as the frankincense on top. Okay, the next step is umalehu umaktirai baklishares, right? So he needs to bring it up and offer it on the mezbeach in a vessel. Baklishares makterlai, right? So is it true that you actually like cook it on the mezbeach with the klishares and you put the klishares on the fire, right? That's actually, that's not how it works. Ela'ima malehu baklishares lehaktirai, right? They that he lifts it up onto the mezeach in order to later burn it, right? But the burning actually happens um, in order to burn it, the flour mixture is actually taken out of the vessel. Moving along, what happens next? Umolchai, the kahin salt, sprinkles salt on top of the mencha, the nice ishim, and places it on top of the flames, the fire on the mezeach. And we have a pasuk for this as well, right? The... Um, there are some mitzvahs in the Torah, right, which are, there's very few psukim in the Torah Shabbat, and we need a lot of Torah Shabbat like, kind of derive the halachas for it. But karbanais is not one of those things. Like, the Torah spends a lot of time, the Torah Shabbat, the Chumash spends a lot of time talking about all the details of karbanais. So we have a pasuk which explicitly tells us this as well. It says, right, every single mencha needs to be sprinkled with salt. Next, after this three fingers full of the flour mixture, plus the frankincense has been burnt on the mezbeah, the leftover flour can be eaten by the kahanim. Minalan, how do we know this? It's written, the hikstirakainas is karasabagamer. Right, it says that the kahanim should offer a remembrance, meaning just a little bit of the mencha offering. Right? And it says that the leftovers of that mencha go to Arad and his sons. Karabakimits, right? So if you um once you bring the karbakimits, the mission the Bright says that once you bring the karbakimits, as soon as it's brought 
at that instant, at that moment, the rest of it now becomes allowed. Now we have a disagreement about what exactly defines bringing this fistful. So Lamar could Islay, Lamar could Islay, right? There's one Amara who interprets it one way and another who interprets it another way. The Itmar, we have a statement which says, a teaching which says, um, at what, during which point in the process of offering the, the fistful of Mencha, does the, does the, do the leftovers become permitted to be eaten? to be in Rabbi Chanina Amar. Rabbi Chanina says Mishatish led by R. As soon as it just catches fire, sorry, or as soon as it catches to the fire, Rabbi Yechanan Amar Mishatitsas the R Rubai. Rabbi Yechanan said is that the fire needs to actually catch hold on most of it. All right, the final clause of the It says that when the Kahanim um, eat the leftovers, they're able to mix that flour with wine or oil or honey. Um, my time, what was the reason? Like, how do we know this, right? It says that this... Um, this um this like leftover piece of uh this leftover like flour mixture is there to be for the kahanim lemishcha as a consecrated as a special you know present so the word mishka implies ligdula something for greatness right something that's lavish just like kings eat so just like kings eat this these fancy doughs prepared with all these fancy liquids so too the kahanim could use any of these liquids. They ain't a certain element comments, but they are forbidden to do one thing. They're forbidden to mix the flour with water and let it rise. They should not bake their portion as leavened bread. Right? So here's the thing about that that Pasuk, <laughs> the way it's quoted here, you can't really tell. So I'm just going to read that whole Pasuk that we just read. Um, the source is in Vayikra, Perak Vav, Pasuk Yud. My Gemara has that Pasuk written on the side, so I'm going to read it. Um, so I'm going to read it from here. Um, let me just find the Pasuk here. So yeah, so it says, Light Haifa Say Afechamets. Right? Don't bake it as chametz. I have given them their portion as, you know, a holy, one of the holiest offerings. So really the word chalkam is part of the next sentence, right? It's, it says life like the chametz, period. Then chalkam, dot, dot, dot. Right? Um, but our Rish Lakish said, He connects the word chalkam to the previous phrase and he says that really he's interpreting this Pasuk as saying is that their portion should also not be baked as chametz. Okay. So now we're going to return to our Mishnah. Um, and our Mishnah had um, on Yudal Ramad Aleph had drawn a few uh, distinctions between all Menchais and the Mencha of the Saita, right? And the first distinction is the, is the Mishnah had said that all other Menachais require uh, oil 
and Lamina, whereas the Mincha of the Saita does not. So the is going to ask a question. Is that really true that all Menachais really require oil and Levina? Isn't there the Mincha of the sinner, of someone who, who brings a, um, there are certain Averis for which it's called a Karban Isla Vigyarit. It's a adjustable Karban, where um, depending on the financial status of the sinner, they can bring three different types of carbonis, right? And the poorest uh, financial bracket can bring um, a flower offering to atone for it. So isn't there the, the menchas chayte? Right? It says that when he brings that mincha, he should not put any shaman and he should push it and put any levina on it. So, so this is what the mission is really saying. So all menachas have one of two characteristics. They either have shaman ulavina, or they come from chitin, and they come from fine flour, right? So most, uh, most menachas have all three characteristics. Some of them only have two of those characteristics, right? So menachas chayte, afal pisha'ina te'una shaman u'levayna, but menachitin u'vastailas. Right, so the menachas chayte, even though it doesn't need oil or levayna, it does come from wheat, and it does come from fine flour. Menachas ha'aymer, afal pisha'ba menachas te'una shaman u'levayna, u'ba'agarash. The menachas ha'aymer, even though it comes from barley, it needs and it comes garish. Garish um, means like these whole kind of hulled kernels of, of barley, right? So we see that all that even though there are other exceptions to which don't have all three, the menchas kleite and the menchas aimer at least have you know two of the of these criteria. And this one. The Ishasaita's offering is unique because it doesn't have any of those characteristics. It doesn't need shaman or levina. It doesn't need oil or levina. It doesn't come, it comes from barley and not wheat, and it comes from coarsely ground flour. Tanya Amaravi Shimon. Um, so we have a brisa, which 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 um in which Rabbi Shimon says, but like really, it would it would really be right. It would make sense for the mincha um, of a sinner to require oil and levina, so that the sinner shouldn't profit, right? Like it seems like we're giving off free. He gets to bring a cheaper offering. <laughs> he doesn't have to spend money on the oil or levina, which could be quite pricey, right? Um, so why do we not require for him? So his carbon shouldn't be beautiful. And it would make sense that a carbon chatas, meaning an animal offering, which is brought, so it's called chatas chaylev, an animal offering brought for eating, eating forbidden fat. But as Rashi explains, this is really a phrase that encompasses all carbonites, which are brought um, for a, a commandment where if you do a avera, where if you do it on purpose, you would get. Caris. So chaylev is just an example of an avera where if you eat chaylev, you get caris. But there are many more. Like if you break, I mean, breaking Shabbos um, is also an example um, where you know you would bring a carbon katas because if you if you did it accidentally, because if you did it on purpose, you would get caris. So it would make sense that um, 
someone who brings that type of carbon khatas, that type of animal offering, to Una Nesachim would need to bring um, pour wine on the Mizbeach along with it. For the same similar reason, we don't want the sinner to profit and not have to spend money on the wine. Get like a bargain carbon. So why does it not need it? Similarly, reason we don't want the carbon to be um, beautiful and have that added um, sort of like that added fanciness of having one. Do you want to say something, Adasa? No, not yet. <laughs> not yet. Okay, fine. <laughs> yeah, go on. Feel like comment. Feel like Okay. <laughs> Lefisa Einbine, um, yeah. Okay, so that, that was a great explanation. What about the carbon of a mitzayra, which he brings upon becoming um, pure? That should need, like, why do they need, um, why do they require nesachim, like, why, uh, like wine pour, like libations along with it. Lafisha ain't buying all hates because they don't actually, uh, Mitzara, when a Mitzara breaks his carbon, it's, it doesn't come, it doesn't come because he, um, because he said, right? So that's why the carbon of Mitzara does require wine libations. <laughs> And then we say, Amy, is that really so? say in the name of Rabbi There are seven sins for which um, a person is struck with thrust. Or the most famous is uh, Lashon Hara, but there's a list of seven sins, right? So meaning he did do something wrong. Someone who got saras is a sinner. So who is so yeah, meaning it's true that someone gets saras because they sin, but then once they get saras and they're healed, that atones for them. He might see carbon lineage But right, so after once he's healed from saras, he already atoned for his sin. He just brings a carbon to cleanse him from the impurity that is brought about when one is struck with saras, and that allows him to eat kajim, holy foods like carbonis. Okay, so about this, about the about the Mitzara. <laughs> um so 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 the Ramam actually writes about at the, at the very end of um the laws of of the Tomas Mitzara, um the Tomasaras, the Rambam um like discusses sort of this this idea of like Taras coming as a result of um of sins, right? And so sort of what the Gamar is saying here is that the carbon isn't what atones for it, but the actual the process of getting Taras itself is the atonement. Um and and he says that like it, you know, which you see with Saras how like the 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 um the person being afflicted with Taras, like you see in a very like clear way how it's helping fix the person from the sin that they did, right? Helping them you know, purify the lesson that they did. Because what happens, the person, like he, he gives his Lashonara, right? The person's speaking Lashonara. Um, and then, um, or he's sitting. And um, the, well, I think I should turn this over. <laughs> I'm going to cut this out. <laughs> Sorry. Okay, no problem. Start over. I feel like I lost my train of thought. Okay. Um, let me just, come on, turning it. 
Okay, so here about the Mitzrayah here. So the, what the Gemara is saying here is that it's not that, you know, the carbon is what's atoning for the sin, but actually getting Saras itself is what's atoning for the sin. So the Ramam actually at the end of Hilchas Tumas Saras, he, he writes about this and he says that Saras is not a natural, you know, like disease or something, right? But it's some sort of miraculous thing that Hashem would afflict on a person in order to send him this message that he needs to change his ways, right? So that's why the Taras will first affect the person's house, right? Um, if they're, you know, the example the Ramam gives is Lashon Har, right? If he's, if he's, you know, gossiping a lot, um, then first Hashem will sort of send him this warning by like it afflicting something most external to him, his house, right? And then if the person doesn't improve their ways, then it will sort of affect their clothes, right? And if that, if the person still doesn't um, fix their ways, then it will also um, affect their skin, right? That person themselves. Um, and then at that point, then the person has to be isolated from everybody else, right? So we kind of see how like Hashem is sort of sending him these warnings to improve his ways. And if he doesn't, then um, he he's actually isolated from other people because it's almost like a way of saying like, you, the only way for you to really like, you know, fix this habit that you've fallen into is by just not being around other people who you could gossip with, right? Like just isolating yourself hmm. from everybody else and like doing some introspection, right? Um, so we kind of see here how like, you know, this this punishment, and this is really, you know, there's a secret where the rabbi talks about this, how like this punishment, so to say, that the this person is getting by getting to Ras, it's not really like, you know, punishment punishments that are given in Torah are not just, you know, for the purpose of, you know, getting us back, but it's there any punishment is intended to help us purify ourselves and and you know be, improve ourselves um, from whatever you know state we're in, and we see that mo- like very obviously with Saras, right? That like the process of Saras in this very um, literal way, like is sort of this process of allowing the person to distance themselves from the behavior that they were involved in, um, and and um, you know become a more refined person. Um, so so in the Sikhah, we talks about how this, this is sort of like a lesson for every any any. Um, any concept of scharva einish, right? Like any like, you know, difficulty that we go through that's a punishment, so to say, for something we've done wrong is really like the taras in the sense that like it's really just a way of Hashem, you know, helping us separate from that from that behavior that we were involved in. Um, yeah. <laughs> wow. Thank you. That definitely shed a lot of light on this, uh, you know, sometimes like you read something and I just, I had a feeling when I was learning this that you would have something to say, <laughs> it's like begging for an explanation. <laughs> um, so yeah, so that's, that is the, the Mitzayra. And there's one last example of a carbon, um, which we're going to discuss here. And that is the carbon brought by a Nazir at the conclusion of his vow. Right. Um, based on Ruby Shimon's grand principle that whenever a carbon comes to atone for a sin, it doesn't have wine. And whenever um, it there is no there's no sin, it does have wine. Right. So if we want to fit all carbonized into this rule, the carbon of the Nazir doesn't seem to fit in because the carbon of the Nazir right should should require we saw see, we know the carbon of the nazir does not require wine there's no wine required to be brought with the carbon nazir so we say why it should it should require wine because the nazir didn't do anything wrong right he actually did something very perhaps admirable right he separated himself he sanctified himself to hashem right he he it doesn't come because of any sin so we say rabbi shimon he must 
believe, agree with Rabbi Elazar Kaper, who says, Damar, he said, Nazir Nami Chaitahu, he says that actually a Nazir is considered a sinner, that it's actually not admirable necessarily to um, take a Nazir vow. Um, and it's actually a negative thing to deny yourself wine and to unnecessarily deny yourself pleasures of this world. Okay, so now we're going to move on to the um, the final line of our Mishnah that we started with on the previous staff. Regamaliel, I had said that the reason why the mincha of the saita is brought from barley is because barley is an animal food, and the saita acted um, in an animalistic way. Tanya, so we have a bracelet which is going to give us some more background to the statement of Regamaliel. I'm going to make to So it's like one day they're in the base medrash and Regamliel gets up to all the Chachamim who are, you know, sitting there. He said, Cypher, honorable scribes, great scholars, Hanihuli, just give me a moment. And I will explain this halacha of requiring a barley for the Saita. Um, literally means like a rish, right? It means like in a very beautiful, in a beautiful way. The double A, Rabbi Mayer, because he had just heard Rabbi Mayer's explanation. Rabbi Mayer's explanation was the Amar Kia Hilase Madani Alamasicha Kerbana Mahabahima. Right? Rabbi Mayer, we actually saw this earlier, that Rabbi Mayer had interpreted this halacha as a Mida Kanagan Mida thing, just like she said her parameter, right? The person, the, the other man, you know, delicious delicacies. Um, so, so to like kind of a punishment for that. She has to bring a carbon of this animal, this very low quality, low grade food. So where we Governor Leo could not didn't like this explanation. I like he said, Hatina Asira. So that makes sense. That explanation makes sense for a rich woman who would have had the means to feed this man, you know, such luscious food, such um such expensive food. But what about a poor woman, right? A poor woman, you know, certainly didn't have the means to do that. And so what's the reason she has to bring this barley offering? So so in response to that, Leo brings his own explanation. That um, this, just like her animal, her actions were similar to that of an animal. Um, She acted on her animalistic tendencies, or actually Rashi says that, um, many animals don't have exclusively one mate, right? So by, um, you know, what, should she have committed adultery, that would be an animal-like action. Um, so too, her carbon is of animal food. All right, so we're going to move on to the next Mishnah. We're going to move on to the next stage of the site ritual. So we just talked about, we talked about the lead up to the, um, Saita process, right? The warnings that she has to receive. We talked about how she's brought to the base of Mikdash. We talked about how she has to bring her carbon menka. Now we're going to talk about the next stage, which is when they have to fill a vessel with water and take some dust from the base of Mikdash and put it on top. And afterwards, they um, erase a paper. And on that, with um, which has written on it um, the entire parsha, the Sukkim and the Tyra, which speak about the curse 
given to the site dash should you have committed adultery. All right, this much is going to talk about the water and dust part. Okay, so let's listen. So the Kyle would bring this kind of um, jug made of uh, earthenware. Um, early more like after this is like a cup, where it's kind of like a cup, an earthenware cup. But now it's like a classy lugmime, and she would put inside it a class, a half of a log of, of water. A log, a log is four revis, right? So the revis is like the classic measure that you need to like have for kiddish in your cup or for the four cups of wine, right? A revis, you know, uh, many different explanations of what that is. Let's go with you know, approximately 3.5 fluid ounces is a rubies. And this is half of a log. So half of a log would be two of those, two rubies, around seven fluid ounces. So not, not terribly much. You would take that amount of water, minha kior, from the kior. Rubihuda, I'm a rubies. Rubihuda said you actually only need a quarter of a log, which is actually a rubies of, that, that we we call a revis, right? That's actually why it's called a revis because it's a quarter of a log. Um, so Rabbi Yehuda has this smaller measure. Kishim shemamai bixav kafamai b'mai. We're gonna see later. He also has a much smaller measure, a minimalistic measure that is required for the writing that needs to be on the scroll, which is dissolved in the water. So he also he has a, also has a smaller measure for the water itself. So we said that the Kayan needs to go into the Heichal, the base of Mekdash. He turns to his right. There was a one Amma square portion there. And there was a, a, a board of a, um, well, I'm blanking on the word, <laughs> a marble, <laughs> a marble like tile there. Um, but Tabas, I said Kabuaba, and there was like a ring, like a sideways ring that was stuck inside it, um, which, you know, would be used to lift it. And so he would use that ring to lift the tile and take dust from underneath it. And she put enough dust uh, on the water. So you can see it on top of the water. Right. He would take from the dust that was on the floor of the Mishkan and then he would place it on the water. Gemara. Tana. So we have a teaching. So Rabbi Shmuel says that this earthenware cup needs to be new. My time is Rabbi Shmuel. Where's Rabbi Shmuel get this from? <laughs> it's halacha from. So Gamar Kli Kli Mimitzayr. He learns a Shaba because there is a similar word. Kli is used in the context of the Mitzayra. So um, this is specifically it's the context of when the Mitzayra is cleansed from um, his impurity or his or her impurity. Um, there's a requirement to dip. Um, there's like a, a hyssop branch and a cedar wood um, and also a, a scarlet thread. And also all of those are dipped in blood, which is in also a kli, right? And we know that that kli is required to be new. So just like over there, you know, it needs to be a new vessel. Here also needs to be a new vessel. So now we're going to go back. But how come we know it? Okay, actually... <laughs> We know in the context of purifying a mitzvah that you needed a new vessel. 
דכתיב ושחט את הסיפור. האחת אל כלי חרס על מים חיים. So it says there that part of the purification process is you have to slaughter, there are two birds required, and you have to slaughter one of the birds into an earthenware vessel on top of spring water. Just like spring water, has never, there's never any work that has been done with them. Also, you need a vessel which has never been used for any work. So now the Gemara says, wait a second. Okay, so if Rabbi Ishmael is just learning this thing that, you know, since there's the same word used for the Mitzayah and for the Ishasaita, we need to equate, you know, and use the halachas and say that they have the same halachic requirements. So, if so, then why are we able to use regular water for the Ishasaita if you need spring water for the Messiah, you should also require spring water here, L'Rabbi Ishmael, according to Rabbi Ishmael. So the Gemara says, Hachinami, indeed, <laughs> we do use spring water, according to Rabbi Ishmael. The Amor Rabbi Yochanan, Me'kir, Rabbi Ishmael, Aymar, Me'mayanheim. So Rabbi Yochanan reports that the waters in the Kir, according to Rabbi Ishmael, the water in the Kir came from a spring. Right, the Chachamim say it was other water, but Rabbi Shmuel does indeed think it was spring water. So when we say, when the Mishnah says, take water from the Kior, as far as Rabbi Shmuel is concerned, that is spring water, and therefore it is indeed parallel to the laws of Mitzayra. Eagle and Mifra. So, he says, so the Gemara says, hey, wait, we could kind of refute Rabbi Shmuel's argument and say, we shouldn't, you know, the, the laws of the Mitzayra and Saita should not be compared. Why? Malam Mitzayra Shekane Tan eats errors the Aza Vishnita loss, right? The, the Mitzayra requires all of these different things. It needs cedar wood and it needs a hyssop um, grass and it needs um, and it needs a scarlet thread, right? These, the, the processes of Mitzayra and Saita are just totally different, right? So, you know, why are we comparing the two, right? We're not going to say that a Saita needs all of those things, right? So Amar Rabba, so Rabba says, Amar Krat. So Rabba has a different way of deriving this halacha, that there needs to be a new vessel. Amar Krat. The Kli Cheres, the Kli Cheres, the Pasek tells you, the Pasek um, says that the Kayan needs to put the water in a Kli Cheres. Now, if you look at the Sukkim, it's a little strange because the Terrace the ter- says, like, you know, you all like that you need to go to the Kiara and take the water. And it never says that you need to take a vessel, right? Just like suddenly it says, oh, pour the, the water into the vessel from the Kiara into the vessel. And it's like, well, wait, where did the vessel come from? Right. So Robin says that implies the like the vessel I already told you about. So it's like the Pesach is telling you, hey, go back to the last time we talked about a vessel. When was that? That was in the context of Mitzayra, so copy-paste all the requirements that of the vessel with regard to the Mitzayra apply also with the Ishasaita. Okay. Amar Why shanu ala shalaynis akmu panav? akmu panav? So Rabbi said that according to the opinion that you don't need a new vessel, right? They... You can use any vessel as as long as the the surface of the vessel has not become blackened from use. But if it's been blackened from use, everyone agrees that it is unfit. It is puzzle. 
my time. I was three. Then dummy and demayan. It's similar to the requirement for water. Um, just like ma just like the water that you need to put in the vessel needs to be clear and not discolored. So too, the vessel needs to be not discolored. So by Rava, so Ravi, Rava asks, So Rava says, okay, so we can't use a vessel which has been blackened. What if it's been blackened and then you return it to the kiln so it becomes white again? What's the halacha then? Do we say that once it's been disqualified, it's just always disqualified. Or we say once we've changed it and we've, you know, renewed it, it's now returned. Tashma. So coming here, uh, the following teaching is going to shed some light on the matter. So Rebbe Lezer says, So Rebbe Lezer says that uh, in the context of a Mitzayra, that um, if someone takes the cedar wood and the hyssop and the scarlet um, string that need to be used for the ritual, and if he takes them and and hangs his basket on them, thereby, you know, mis- um, deforming them and, and kind of um, bending them from the weight of the basket, sulin, their puzzle. So he's saying, you know, why is the puzzle? You can go back and uh, straighten them out, right? So with the, the, perhaps we can say that just like with the these items, right, this like grass and wood and string with the Mitzayra, just like once they've been bent out of shape, they're apparently permanently puzzle. So too, with the Ishisaita, once the, the earthenware cup has been blackened, it could never be um kosher again even if you return it to the kiln right maybe we get that the court says no there's actually a difference there's a difference between this teach this um halacha regarding mitzayra in our case over there when you kind of hang a basket on a piece of wood or a or a hyssop um grass it's not just that it bends out of shape there it also starts to peel right and you can never really renew that you can never like put the, 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 that thin layer back on, right? So there is irreversible damage there. Whereas with an earthenware vessel, you really can renew it. So perhaps with an earthenware vessel, um, it can become kosher again, right? So we, we haven't really answered our question. We don't have a proof either way. Okay, so moving on, very interesting idea. Um, we're told, right? The Kaya needs to take this cup of water, go into the Heikal and turn to his right. So my time, why does he specifically have to turn to his right? Maybe he can go to his left or right? turn in a circle, right? Because <laughs> we're taught. Like whenever a person turns, they should always turn to the right, right? It's not just a, uh, you know, superstition or like, a, you know, old wives that they tell you in school, like, so actually real has real halakhic significance. There's an idea that you should always turn if you have a choice to turn right or left you should always turn to the yeah, right yeah there's actually a lot of um mitzvahs from an hugim that we follow today based on this principle right like um like you know some say even like when you take three steps back brush as you turn into the right first um or when the kahanam do duchening right they have to turn um 
um, starting from the right. Um, also, like when they go around the bima, um, when um, men are called up to the Torah. So there's many examples. Or also shaking lulav, right? We shake to the right first when we shake the lulav. Um, so there's many examples of like, you know, this is actually has halachic significance, right? Like when anytime there's a situation where you have to turn in a certain direction, we do the right first. Um, but this also has some some symbolic meaning. Um, there's this idea from the Shalah, actually, where the Shalah says, he quotes this Gemara um, from a Sechah Shavas. It says, um, which means that... Um, it means metaphorically, like those who are right-handed, um, learning Torah can be a, a potion of life. Those who are left-handed, um, Torah can be a potion of death. Which also doesn't mean literally. No offense, lefties. Yeah. You're still welcome to learn with us. Yeah. So of course, obviously, it doesn't mean literally right-handed, left-handed. It means like if you're learning Torah in a way, the right-handed way, right-handed, the right always symbolizes um, um, like kedusha, while the set, the left side can represent sort of like the other side, the like you know. Klipa, or the weaker side, right? Like for that, most people, the majority of people, the right hand is the stronger hand, is the left hand is the weaker hand, and that sort of symbolizes um, sort of this this positive versus negative energy. So the flaw actually says that this is sort of the idea that they're saying here is that a person should always sort of position themselves on the right side, right? They should be sort of like focusing their energy um, towards the side of the side of Kedusha. Um, mm. So yeah. Right. Great. Thank you. Thanks for shedding light on this, you know, somewhat enigmatic, uh, yeah. enigmatic statement. So um, it's interesting. It doesn't even give a name, right? It's like very, it's just like Omar Mar, the teacher has said, right? It's like the statement, you know, it's like axiom. Hmm. Okay. So moving along, Makam Hayasham, it says the Kayan goes in, turns to the right, and then comes to this place, this Ama Square tile. Tairabanan, our sages have taught, Umin Ha'afar Sher Yiyah. Right, so that what the Gemara is going to do now is going to try to ascertain how do we know that we need to take um, dust that is specifically under the tile in the base of Mikdash, right? Maybe there's some other way we could have done it, right? So our sages have taught um, the Pesach says Umin Ha'afar Sher Yiyah, right? The Kaya needs to take from the dust that is there on the floor. It could be that you could just take dust from outside the base of Mekdus, right? On the mountain, on the Harabayas. There's plenty of dust there, right? Um, so Tom and Lymar Bikarka Mishkan. It has to be from the floor of the Mishkan, of the sanctuary. Ibakarka Mishkan. So and if it, if the Pusik would have just said the words Bakarka Mishkan, the floor of the Mishkan, Yachal Yachbar Bikarduma. So it could be that you have to dig, you could dig in tunnels underneath the Mishkan. Hamad Lamar, Asher Yiyah. It has to be the dust that is on the surface, that is there already without digging. Ha-Ketzad, Yesham, Habat. Yesham, Habat. Yesham, Tainsham. Right, if there is, so if there is dust already on the floor of the Mishkan, then you could just pick it up. If there happens to be, there's no dust on the floor of the Mishkan, then you have to bring it from outside, put it down on the floor, and then pick it up. Tanya Ida. Okay, oh, actually, we're very close. We're just about done with the top, so we'll pause here, and we will pick up tomorrow. All right, thank you so much for listening. See you tomorrow. See you tomorrow.